turn with me now to the book of John, John chapter 6, for our passage this morning as we continue our study of this chapter, a greater study of this book of the Bible. Uh, We've seen a few miracles take place up to this point, uh, specifically from John chapter 6. This chapter opens up with Jesus feeding the 5,000. We witnessed that just a couple of weeks ago. And then following that miracle, we have Jesus walking on water. And so Jesus has been displaying his miraculous power, his authority, his ability um, to the crowds and to the disciples. And his goal in that has been to instruct them, to encourage them, but really to reveal himself to them. What we're going to see today after a a brief uh, reprieve, if you will, with Jesus walking on water and that miracle being limited to uh, the disciples as far as exposure, uh, the crowd that was present with the feeding of the 5,000 has caught back up to Jesus. It it took them a little bit of time to to sort things out, but here they are again and they want more. And um, that is very commendable to come to Jesus to want more, but what we will need to learn from them is um, our motivation, our desire behind a decision matters as much as the decision itself. Why do you pursue Jesus? Why do you seek him? What do you desire? And Jesus is going to teach us a great lesson related to that this morning from our text. With that said, I'd like you to please follow along with me as I read for us our passage this morning. John chapter 6, I'd like to start in verse 22 and read through verse 34. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, You were seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father had set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Just then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. This is the word of the Lord. 
Would you please bow with me as we go to him in prayer? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this day grateful for this opportunity to sit at your feet, to hear your word for your people. Lord, we need you more than we need bread. Lord, we need the life that can be provided in and through Jesus Christ more than we need anything else in this world. And yet our desires, our temptations, our natural inclinations is to pursue that which will satisfy us for a day. May it not be so, Lord, to the neglect of that which will satisfy us for an eternity. Through your word this day, may we all see Jesus. Father, I pray that your word now would go forth in power for your glory and for our good. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in a a situation, I'm I'm sure you have, where there was something you wanted? Um, Whether as a a young child it was a a toy, a a game, an activity, an event. Um, As an adult it can be various things. Sometimes it's quiet in the home. And you're, you just want it so bad, and it, it, it consumes your thoughts, it consumes your, your ability to think and everything. It, it almost physically makes you sick. You want it so, so, so much. If you can think of one of those moments or one of those things in your life, I want you to think about what happened that afternoon. That thing, that event, that moment, that opportunity, it came and you, you had it and it was the greatest thing in the world and at about four o'clock that afternoon you're sitting there, well, what do I want next? A lot of times that's the case, isn't it? it? These things, these desires, these opportunities that we want ultimately satisfy us for a moment briefly and then we, we find ourselves hungry for more. Or other times, what we want, what we desire, it is noble or it is justifiable, but the reason we want it is off. You know, you, you find yourself saying, well, if I, if I got a, an iPad, I could do my work for my business in the field and I could use it to put the recipes that I'm cooking on my recipe stand. But what you really want is I've got a trip coming up and if I downloaded Netflix now, I could watch four hours on the iPad. There's a lot of times in life we we want the right thing, but the motivation behind it is skewed. And that too will end up eventually leaving a sour taste in our mouth, leaving us unfulfilled. Well, here in our text, we have a case of people wanting the right thing for the wrong reasons. We have this crowd that has been chasing Jesus. First in Jerusalem, they heard about the miracles he was doing with the sick, and so they met him um, on the mountainside. That's where we witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. And then he leaves, and there's a brief time where they're not with him. But as we will get into into our text, they, they come back to him. They, get, they find him again. And what is their desire? What is their focus? What is their goal? What is their aim? Hey, Jesus, what are you going to do now? Give me more. And what they fail to think about, what they fail to see, what they fail to consider is it's, it's Jesus that they need. 
It's that they need Jesus himself. And so this morning, I want us to think about that question of desire. What do we desire? What do we long for? And I want us to to think about it in a couple of different ways. First, I want us to think about it in how naturally, humanly, our desires are for worldly satisfaction. That which we can have and obtain and get now that will, will, will please us for a moment. The next area I want us to consider is that Jesus, he doesn't think that way, he doesn't act that way. Jesus desires us to have heavenly satisfaction, eternal satisfaction, satisfaction that will last. And then ultimately as a result or a consequence of this, we'll get to our third point, which is that God offers the bread of life, which is actually what we need most. We'll go through each of these through our text, beginning with this craving of natural or carnal satisfaction. We see in our text, the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away. They want to see Jesus, so they start sorting it out. I want Jesus. Jesus is not here. Where is Jesus? Now, I love detective novels. I believe it was last year or the year prior, I read the entire Sherlock Holmes anthology. It doesn't take a Sherlock Holmes-level intellect to sort this one out, though. We don't have to wait till the last chapter and get the surprise. I want Jesus. Look around. No Jesus. Well, Jesus sent his disciples on a boat, but he didn't get on the boat. So where is he? Well, let's look. So you you feel like like you're in a a Sherlock Holmes novel, or probably more accurately, a Scooby-Doo cartoon episode here. Where is he? I don't know. Let's go around. Let's cue some music. Let's run through some doors. No Jesus. The next thing that we read... was some boats came from Tiberias. Now, Tiberias was near where the original miracle took place, the feeding of the 5,000. And so the, the crowd has tried to find Jesus where they are on the side of the shore. They can't find him. The boats from Tiberias come. And they would have gone to them and said, hey, look, we're looking for Jesus. Have you seen him? And the people from Tiberias would have said, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know. Either they didn't know Jesus or they knew he wasn't in Tiberias. Cue Scooby-Doo music again. Where is he? Let's look. And then run, run around and around they go again. And then somehow it comes to them. We, we're not told. But they get the, the knowledge, the information. When the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got themselves into boats and went to Capernaum Seeking Jesus. Somehow they put two and two together or it was told to them, well, the disciples are near Capernaum. And they start to thinking, well, well, Jesus, he's not going to be away from the disciples very long. He's not going to leave them be. So if we want Jesus, let's track down the disciples. Cue the cutscene. Cue the music again. They get in the boats. They go to Capernaum. They are very desirous of finding Jesus. And and before we really get into their motivation, let's stop right here. And let's commend them for it. What they want is good. 
They want Jesus. They are putting in a great effort to find, to be near, to locate Jesus. There is nothing wrong with that at all. And, and we, should all, uh, we should all desire Christ to this degree that we would go to these links to be near Him, to be present um, with Him, to seek Him. And so on the one hand, I want to be very careful here uh, of being critical to the crowd because they're doing the right thing. May we find Christ. But, as often is the case, they begin speaking and their motivation becomes revealed. They find Jesus, verse 25, They've been looking for him. A great chase has, has ensued, at least on their parts and their minds. And listen to the first thing they say to him. They've been looking for him. They're longing for him. They're asking questions. They're seeking him. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? It's not, we found you. It's not, oh, let us worship you. It's not, teach us, great teacher. When did you get here? We've got some questions. We've got some things we want. We've got some, some answers, and we want them now. Answer us. And then as Jesus has done in about every interaction he's had in the Gospel of John, he ignores them. <laughs> like he did with Nicodemus, like he did with the woman at the well. Anytime he's questioned, he goes to the heart of what they're asking. Or what they should be asking would be a more accurate response. Jesus right here tells us their motivation. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. The nature of man, man's natural state, is to be in love with the miracle and not the miracle giver. The natural state of man is to love the gift and ignore the giver. These followers, this crowd, wanted Jesus desperately. Why? Because he had fed them. Jesus made them full for a day, and so they wanted more. And unfortunately and sadly, many times, many people today have the same view of Jesus. He's a divine vending machine. Insert request via coin and out pops miracle. I want what you can give me, Jesus. I'm putting in my time. I'm putting in my church attendance. I'm putting in my volunteer hours. I'm putting in my Bible study check marks. So give me... What I'm asking for, B14, please. But that's not what Jesus is about. That is not how he operates. Man, man's natural desire is for worldly satisfaction. They want the bread. Jesus operates on a completely different level. His desire, his goal, his aim is for eternal satisfaction or heavenly satisfaction. We see that as our second point. 
here. It's very clear that the crowd's motivation is not pure. They want to gain from Jesus. And Jesus could have ignored them. He could have cast them away. He could have said, you wicked people, your heart's not in the right place. I don't have time for you. But that's not how Jesus operates. Instead, Jesus teaches. Jesus instructs. Jesus helps the very people who have it wrong understand how it should be right. He tells them, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. I want you to notice the similarity here between what Jesus tells this crowd and what Jesus tells the woman of Samaria back in John chapter 4, verse 13. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. Jesus is offering this crowd and the woman of Samaria eternity. Something that will last, that will go beyond. Now the object's different, bread versus water, but the the reality is the same. If you take what I offer you, I offer you life. Eternal food. Water that will cause us not to be thirsty again. And Jesus tells them, not only is this offered, but where they can get it. He says it very clearly. The Son of Man will give to you. And this answers their next question, or what should be their next question. Well, where do I get it? This bread is so great. This bread will give eternal life. Where can I find it? Jesus, knowing that that will be their next question, the Son of Man. And I love what Jesus is doing here. I I painted the picture at the beginning of this this Sherlock Holmes Scooby-Doo chase Do you see how Jesus is now asking them to do some deductive reasoning of his own? Follow the argument. Jesus rebukes them. You're only here because you want bread. Jesus tells them, don't work for bread that will last but a mere moment. Work for bread that will last for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. What is Jesus saying to them here? I will give you that bread... Therefore, I am the Son of Man. See how Jesus is really getting them to start to think? If He can offer this, and and He just said only God can offer it, the Son of Man is the one who brings this bread about, then He must be Him. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. God will be that man's Father. Jesus is the Son of God. Really, if you follow the reasoning, that's where you end up, or you should end up. Jesus is the Son of God. (laughs) If you have children, you you know this to be true. Usually it's in a point of frustration, and they're asking something, and we will say later, or after dinner, or tomorrow, we will do this, or go here, or have this thing, or be at this place, and you know, 
You know with absolute certainty. They may not remember that they had homework, but they can tell you, well, last Tuesday at 1 o'clock after we had lunch, you said on next Thursday for breakfast we will have pancakes. They, they cling on to certain points or certain aspects or certain words. There's, there's, they miss most of it. They miss the point, but they get the parts that they are interested in. Well, we're no different as people. I can prove it to you from the text. Jesus just said, you need bread that will lead to eternal life that can only come from God whom, for whom the Son will give you. The Father has given him his seal. What did they hear? Jesus, you use the word work. All of that's great, but you said work. Wait a minute, Jesus. That's the secret. It's work. Don't work for the bread that will last but for a day, but for that which will lead into eternal life. And so they turned to Jesus. Well, Jesus, what must we be doing? Or what must we do to be doing the work of God? Notice how they keyed on that one word and that's their only focus. Well, what is this work, Jesus? What does it entail? It's always about the bread. Well, Jesus says to them, this is the work of God. That you believe in Him whom He has sent. And here we find ourselves yet again in the Gospel of John with the Gospel message. John 3.16, the most famous passage in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have life everlasting. What did Jesus just say to the crowd? This is the work of God. You believe in Him whom He has sent. What is Jesus doing here? He's pointing the people to Himself. Your greatest need, your greatest desire, your greatest longing is you need me, and here I am. It's the most loving thing Jesus could do at that moment. It's what Jesus does for us today. We all have needs. We all have struggles. We all came in this day with burdens from the week prior and looking ahead to the week ahead. But I'm here to tell you this morning, in this moment, at this time, your greatest need is Jesus Christ. And He says, here I am. Come. Believe in Me. Receive your greatest need. Find fulfillment in me. Don't worry about bread. Don't worry about that which is going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Look, I believe with all confidence if we could go back to Israel as they are wandering in the wilderness, even better as they're coming out of the wilderness, and we're doing an exit survey like good interviewers, and we're going to ask them, okay, we're going to have a party because you've made it through the wilderness. Joshua's about to take you into the promised land. What do you want for your celebration party? Would you like fish and, or would you like bread and quail? Probably going to check no on both, right? 40 years of bread and quail, that's probably the last thing they want to see. Bread may sound good for a moment, but you will get tired of it eventually. Far better is to pursue that which will last forever, that which will satisfy forever, that which will not go bad, that which will not lose its taste, that which will not spoil, that which provides 
life. And what is that again? To reiterate the point again, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And that's how this text ends. And I will admit to you, I'm, I'm a skeptical person by nature. It's a character flaw I've had all of my life. I'm about the worst person to watch a movie with. Most of the time I can keep it in. But every movie I have ever watched, whether it's an episode of Paw Patrol with my children or a crime drama with my wife or Lord of the Rings, I'm at the start of the movie trying to guess the ending. And sometimes I can't help it. It comes out. I'm skeptical. I'm doubtful. That person's going to backstab you. That person's no good. They're the villain. We know they're the villain because they're introduced in this way. I'm, I'm awful <laughs> at cinema. But give me a credible source. Give me someone that I can look to and go, oh, they've proven themselves trustworthy. They tell me to believe. I believe. I'm done. I, I don't question. But until you give me that credible source, until you give me someone authoritative saying it, I'm not going to trust them. Well, who's more authoritative than Jesus? Who's more credible than Jesus Christ? At this point, the conversation should be over. The crowd should say, you know, Jesus, you are right. We came looking for earthly bread, but what we need is eternal bread. We need you. Give us you, Jesus, please. <laughs> but they don't. <laughs> what do they say to him? So what sign do you do that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Do you see what they're doing? They're very clever here. What do they want? Bread. He has given them bread in the past. He has done great works. He's done miracles. He's provided great things. I'm all the way back to the wedding at Cana. And so they want this thing. And they're goading Jesus is what they're doing. So Jesus, what, what are you going to do now? There's a pile of rocks over there. If you want to turn it into pizza, we'll believe in you. There's a river. You want to magically turn that river to wine, we'll believe in you. Hey Jesus, I've got a loan on this donkey. If that wants to disappear, I'll believe it. You see what they're doing? They're, they're kind of poking at Jesus. Hey Jesus, hey Jesus, prove it, prove it, prove it to my benefit. They're not hearing him. They're so focused on what they want, they're not listening. And then they, they play, they play their, their biggest card. They lay their hand. They go to the Old Testament. They, they really try to get in with this. Well, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it's written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're so close to grasping it. They're, they're dancing around the truth. They're, they're right there. But then they bring in this, this Old Testament reference. So Jesus, you fed our forefathers in the desert. And if you really are Jesus, if you really are that person that you say you are, you can feed us right now. One of them's got a table behind them like, I'm ready to go. <laughs> Pull it out. Let's go, Jesus. But Jesus, in love and with all seriousness, looks at him and says, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is not having it. He steers them back to Himself. They evoke Moses. He said, Moses didn't give anybody bread. Moses prayed to me and I made bread fall like snow. 
And what you need, by the way, is true bread from heaven. And what is that bread? Verse 33. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. One last attempt at his, at his um, deductive reasoning here. And who is that? They're supposed to answer Jesus. We teach our children in Sunday school. You ask them any question, usually on a Sunday, the answer is more often than not, Jesus. I did that last night um, as, a, as our family was doing a devotion and I didn't think my children were listening. And I asked a, a, a child to be named nameless. What was that devotion about? And without hesitation, he said, Jesus. It was. I said, oh, I walked into that one. What's the second thing that it was about? The answer is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What they should say here is, I need Jesus. Unfortunately, is we're in the middle of a discussion, and I really cut us off right before the most important verse, which is the next verse. Look at how it concludes, verse 34. Did they get it? Do we celebrate with them? Do we go, yeah, fantastic. Sir, give us this bread always. They're back on that topic of bread. <laughs> they cannot get their minds around anything other than material wealth and gain and possession. They do not understand their greatest need is Jesus Christ himself. And I, I find myself on the one hand, you dummies, that, why don't you get it? Why don't you understand but then I have to look at my own life and my own heart. How quick am I to go somewhere else other to, than to God? When there's circumstances, when there's problems, when there's trials, when there's hardships, how often am I so worried about bread that I forget I have a heavenly Father who's caring for me and loves me? And even to this point, if I was to starve to death today, tomorrow I will be in heaven with Jesus. I don't plan to starve to death today. But even if I did, tomorrow I will be in heaven. And wouldn't that be a better place for me tomorrow than if I was filled today and live? My friends, our natural desires, our natural inclinations are toward the things of this world. But may we not get so focused on that which is in front of us that we forget we have a heavenly Father who loves us and wants us to have what we need most for eternity himself, which is provided in and through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that for all who believe in him, they will have life. May we all seek that life and look forward to it now and look forward to it in the days to come. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, it is easy to see the truths of this passage, but it is often hard to live them out. When the bills are due, when the children are crying, when we're worried and wondering how we're going to solve the next problem, it is so easy to focus on those momentary afflictions. Lord, I pray in and through Your Word, by the sacraments, by our time in prayer, by our fellowship with the saints, that we would grow in our love and our dependence upon You. That we know our greatest need is You and that that need is fulfilled. I pray for each and every one of us that we learn to hope and trust and rest in You. 
Thank you, Lord, for that which you provide. Thank you, Lord, for providing that which we need. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.